0: specifically talking about submission in the context of marriage as it relates to wives. So what do you do this morning if you are not married? You're thinking, oh, man, I wonder if there's any donuts or in the foyer or something. (laughs) All right, listen, let me just give you a quick uh, help, I guess, for what it means to be part of the body of Christ, it means that quite often in your life, uh, you're going to be walking alongside others who are walking through things that don't necessarily pertain to you. And that you may be the chief encourager. Everybody plays a role of being a counselor to somebody at some point. Matter of fact, if you've never been a counselor to somebody at some point in the, bo- in the body of Christ, then, then you're not relating to people correctly. You're supposed to be able to encourage folks and help them. And so you, you obviously know some of the people that were standing here. You're going to know at some point one of the wives who is wrestling through today's topic. How will you come alongside that person? Well, listen carefully to see how the Bible would help you to do that. You may be a, a person who is going to be married, you're a, a young person, a single adult. lady who is at some point, you're going to be joining yourself in marriage to another person. Listen, you don't want to wait until you're standing at the aisle and you're saying your vows to all of a sudden say, ooh, submission, what's that about? Uh, At that point, it's really hard to learn submission at that point. You want to start learning submission when you're this big because it's a valuable thing. And there's aspects of being a man that you want to learn so that you can bring that into your marriage. And so... If you're not married right now, this is a very relevant subject to your life in many, many ways. And there's principles, obviously, that are here as well that will be helpful. Well, we don't have to get too far into this verse to open Pandora's box. Wives, be subject to your husbands. I don't even have to read the rest of the verse to know that we're in some challenging water here this morning, aren't we? Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, there, there's there's something about this verse that touches a nerve, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. You know, it's, it's, it's got a rub to it for some reason. Now the question is, for what reason? Why is there a rub in this passage? Why do we have to get through something to see the goodness in this passage. Now, and there might be just this battle of the sexes thing going on, you know? It's kind of like, you know, all of us here, we're in, we wanna find a camp, you know, for all the guys, we're in the guy camp, yeah, and all the girls are, you know, they're in the girl camp, and so there's this battle of the sexes thing that's happening. All right, that's probably there a little bit. But I want to highlight something. Peter said this a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, when he was preaching through the verses on submission. There's something in the nature of submission that just is like fingernails in a chalkboard. For every one of us, there's something that we just don't like about submission. Now, now I want to move submission into the biblical category where it's called a good thing. We get to the end of this passage, we're gonna find out that submission is good. So rather than feel like, oh, where we go in the day, it's like why aren't we just wanting to just run headlong into this subject? Because the Bible treats it like it's a good thing. Now I think I put this biological moment in your outline here. Submission is counterintuitive to the nature of sin. In the same way that mutuality is contrary to the nature of a cancer cell. See, a cancer cell, to learned a little bit about this a couple years ago. A cancer cell, once it gets in your body, it behaves different than all the other cells that are in the body. It's got its own thing going on. It's worried about itself in a way that none of the other cells are worried about themselves. Right here, I put this. Brief biology lesson. None of you guys who are pros in this come and get me afterwards. I know this is weak. This is all I can remember from biology, though, okay? Uh, Here's the great danger and destruction of a cancer cell is that it's fallen programming, right? When a cell gets damaged, the cell kind of loses its programming. It starts to forget why it exists. It doesn't understand the role it's supposed to be playing. It means it no longer embraces the life cycle of the cell for which it exists in a greater cause, it's a greater good. It has redefined its existence around its own independent survival and pursuit. It therefore destroys other cells, other organs, and drains the life from one's body. Right? Now, if a normal cell goes through living its life a certain way, on a regular basis, a normal cell is going through this, this mitosis where it, it's actually dividing and giving part of itself away. So a regular feature of a cell's existence is that it's going to take part of itself and go this way with it and another part and go that way. So it's going it's to be giving up life, if you will, and there's this cell division and life goes on. And a cell will go through that cycle over and over and over again. But along the way, a normal part of a cell's life is that at some point, the cell has to die off. It's a process called apoptosis, where the, for the sake of the good of the larger organism here, the cell gets to a place where it just needs to die. It needs to give itself up completely, not no longer divide. It just needs to die for the good, the greater good that's going on in the organism. Um, now, here's the challenging moment. But it's normal for the cell to do this. Matter of fact, 50 to 70 billion cells in your body die every day. That's when they don't die correctly, is when you have cancer problems. Now, listen, this has everything to do with relational dynamics, right? Because cells form partnerships. We are, we are made up of billions of cells, and so all these cells have to form a partnership for us to be healthy individuals. Well, God's given relationships into our lives, and so in a similar way, there's, there's a partnership that exists in our lives in relating to others. And that has to be done in a healthy way. So here's my illustration in your outline there. It says healthy biology means cells need to be able to give away part of themselves and know when to die for the sake of others. That's what makes your body healthy. Healthy relationships mean people need to be able to give away part of themselves and know when to die for the sake of others. For your organisms, for your relational organisms to be healthy, you have to be a person who knows how to give away your life and at some point know how to die, know how to, to take the ultimate bullet for the better good of your relationship. Now, submission is in that realm because the very nature of submission means I'm going to give up something that I kind of want for the sake of what you want. Right? Now, listen, an argument I think can be made, well, I won't say this is part of the original language here, but an argument I think can be made that as long as I'm getting to do what I want to do, and just happens to coincidentally be what my husband wants me to do. I don't know if quite yet that's the submission the Bible's describing. I think that's just coincidence that you get to keep doing what you wanted to do anyway, and he happens to be good with it. Submission kicks in when you have to restrain yourself and put yourself underneath somebody else's call, somebody else's preference. Now, what's interesting in, in cancer development is in trying to treat cancers, trying to slow cancers up. There there are two protein inhibitors that are used to, to try and stem the, the course of cancer, because cancer tends to grow faster than normal cells do, but it's growth that's all about itself. And so these two protein inhibitors try to keep cancer cells from proliferating and in an interesting way, I think in the in the organism of marriage, there's a couple of protein inhibitors we're going to learn about this week and next week. It's when a wife is called upon to submit to her husband, there's an, an inhibition in herself for things in her that might want to be growing that would really be cancerous to the marriage when she submits herself to her husband. And then next week as we learn about husbands who just don't do whatever, they don't become cancerous in their own right, but they live with their wives in an understanding way. Immediately, you've put some boundaries on your life. Now, can you guys remember when we went back a few weeks ago and we got into this submission category here, Peter brought up the issue of freedom, and then immediately, I said this in the message, he put freedom on a leash. Because absolute freedom autonomous freedom, I think is probably a better word, is is not a good thing. Because you're not an autonomous creature. You're you're a cellular organism within this massive thing that God is doing. So your freedom is within the confines of who and what God's called you to be. So the idea that well, God has given me freedom, what does that mean? Well, I'm free not to worship God. I'm free to follow the the course of this world. I'm free to serve my own interest. Really, because as soon as Peter mentioned freedom, he talked about being free to be servants of God. So it was freedom within a structure. It was freedom within a meaningful purpose. And actually, I think I put this in your outline. Paul mentions the same thing when he gets to freedom in Galatians 5. He says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, But through love, serve one another. So immediately when Paul says, be people who are free, he then puts a qualifier in there and says, to serve one another. So you don't don't ever want to have this idea that for you as an independent creature, freedom for you is all about you getting to do what you want to do. It's not about that. God's ultimate freedom for us is to live as creatures who bring glory to him. That's why Peter can talk about freedom right after he talked about abstaining from fleshly passions. See, there's there's this element of restraint here in freedom. And so, ladies, when we get today to talking about submission, submission feels restraining. But so does love one another. So does serve one another. Because at some point, you have to submit your desire to do what you want to do to a greater cause. God, I want to do what you want me to do in this relationship. I want to give away part of my life. I want to die if I have to for the sake of a bigger cause than just me. And so that's what we're encountering in this. And for the sake of marriages on both ends as husbands and wives, there's a need here to see these things as good this is a good thing, and I hope as we study this a little more carefully, ladies in particular, this category of those called to submit—that you can rescue that calling from some kind of booby prize. You know, like you got you got the short end of the stick. It's like husbands and wives walk to the altar and say, "Okay, pick a straw." Oh shoot! I got the short one. I guess I have to submit. Okay, there's there's something in us, right? You're laughing because you know that's how we feel. Right, even the men here are sympathetic, right? Don't you kind of feel like, yeah, I mean, I know I'm called lead. I just, I don't know, I drew the long straw. Sorry. You know? <laughs> no. Submission is a glorious thing. It's a good thing. By the time we get to the end of this verse, it's called good. So my argument here is, let's stop denigrating something that God has called good. Something the Bible calls glorious. You didn't learn from the Bible to treat submission like it's this negative thing. We learn that somewhere else. Wayne Grudem says, In an age when submission to authority is frequently denigrated and thought to be degrading and dehumanizing, Peter's words remind us that submission to rightful authority is beautiful and right in God's world. And I'm going to say it's a key relational component. When God puts people together, it's like a cellular organism. And there's going to need to be some some things God puts in it to cause two people who are going to always be tempted to act independently of one another to be able to cooperate. And that's in this advice from the Apostle Peter. Wives submitting and husbands living in an understanding way with their their wives. And that's what we have in this passage. Just a reminder about our definition here. Submitting literally means placing oneself below another person of respect that is expressed in obedience appropriate to the relationship it may be compulsory or voluntary let's look here and read with me first peter chapter 3 <clears throat> verse 1 through 6 likewise wives submit to or be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, it is filled with life. Lord, it is from you, the creator and sustainer of life. Lord, you know how we were designed. And your word brings us back to that design that we might enjoy life and that more abundantly. So, Lord, lead us into the abundant life through these verses. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of thoughts here that I'm going to draw out about wives and their submission to their husbands from this verse. Verse 1, the submission of a wife is a command and part of her God-given role. And where do we get this idea that wives should submit to their husbands? Well, it's, it's commanded in Scripture. It's spoken to wives as a command. It's not an optional thing. It's not something you're being asked to consider. It's it's an imperative command from God. Thomas Schreiner says, wives are exhorted to submit to their husbands. Voluntary submission is in view here. Husbands do not have the responsibility to ensure that wives submit to them. It's very helpful. The participle submitting functions as an imperative here. It's an imperative. It's a command, but it's a command given to the wives. So husbands, there's some instruction here for us. We read this passage. We find out the Bible is instructing our wives to submit to us. Be careful what you do with that command. It's not telling you that you're now in a role to force your wife to submit to you. That's not your call. This is very much about her following God. It's about her relationship with God. Because I know there would be men, and this is a conversation that that gets had between men, ladies, if you want to know what some men talk about. There would be moments where a man sounds like this. Well, my wife won't submit to me. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. This is maybe follow-up to a men's meeting, you know. We've had a meeting we've talked about. Wives and husbands, and invariably in the discussion there's going to be a husband or two or a dozen who are going to say, my wife won't submit to me. She will not submit to me. (laughs) All right, husbands, what do you do when a wife will not submit categorically or in particular areas? She will not submit to you. Well, a couple of quick tips. One, uh, keep leading. In the same way that when we read this verse a little bit further, we're going to find out that wives aren't called to submit if their husbands are awesome. Gentlemen, you're not called to lead if your wife submits to you. You're called to lead because you're called to lead. You're called to lead because you're commanded to lead. You're called to lead because it's part of the call of being a husband and being the head of your household the way the Bible describes it. So, Whether or not your wife is submitting to you, you are still called to give leadership, supply leadership. Now, she has to respond to that leadership, but you're not in charge of her response. Now, what tends to happen, guys, honestly, is when a wife won't submit, usually because a wife wants something to be done differently than the way in which you're leading for it to be done, eventually the husband just abdicates and just stops leading, and so the wife... You go back and you read Genesis 3. You find out why this happens. The wife will gladly take over. And she'll gladly provide the leadership that you just vacated. Now, well, but she won't follow me. Okay, I understand. She won't follow you. Welcome to a dysfunctional relationship. But this is the only thing I'm saying to you guys. So y'all gonna, you'll be done here. You'll be beat up next week. But uh, the wives in this passage have to submit to a real knucklehead of a husband. This is not a great husband in this passage. This is a knucklehead of a husband. And so she has to play her part in a dysfunctional relationship. You have to play yours. She won't submit. You still have to lead. You probably have to instruct. That's still your role, to instruct. Give leadership by instructing. You may have to correct. But it doesn't mean you force. And you may have to figure out, okay, well, she still won't submit. Okay, well, how do I live in a dysfunctional setting? You're deciding that every day, right? Ever since Adam in the garden, life is dysfunctional. So nothing is exactly right in your home. So don't act as though this kills everything. She won't submit to me. I might as well just take my stuff and go home. I can't be, I can't be a husband to her. She won't submit to me. Oh, no, you can't. It's just not going to be an easy thing. All right, so guys, whether she'll submit or not, you still are called to be a husband and to lead. All right, notice in this passage, a woman's submission is not to any and all men. Sometimes you get into the church especially and you get weird on this. You get this idea that, you know, here God's order is men and then women. So there's this idea that women are just supposed to generally submit to men. No, no. Submission is a relational design. You only see it in spaces where there's particular relationships and structures of authority that God has ordained. So where those authorities don't exist, neither does submission now, care, respect, those things still exist between everybody in the, in the house of God. But, you know, when you come into the world as a child, you come into a structure where you're called upon to submit. Children, boys and girls, submit to their parents. They, get, they go to school. They submit to authorities that are instituted, as we learned earlier, by God. So there's teachers there that our children, boys and girls, should be submitted to. They should submit to the police when they pull them over for speeding. They should submit to government authorities and pay their taxes. When they come into the church, they should be in submission to the pastors. That's That's a clear, identifiable authority structure, that everybody in the church is called into a place of submission to godly authority and pastors. When they get married... They move in a household setting from the authority of parents to the authority in submitting to their husbands. To their husbands, not to any man who comes along. So wives are to submit to their own husband while at the same time being submitted to the policeman in an appropriate way and to the pastors in an appropriate way, right? So this is the place of of, how God's created submission. Second, the basis for her submission is his position, not his worthiness or superiority, right? Do you see that in this verse? Wives, submit to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, now immediately you got a knucklehead on your hands. Right? That's a good definition for knucklehead, isn't it? person who doesn't obey the word of God, you're a knucklehead. Whatever you're doing in your life right now that you're not obeying God in, welcome to the knucklehead club. You're a knucklehead. So immediately, as soon as, and this is what the context brought us to previously, as soon as Peter describes submission, he immediately corrupts it. He immediately brings the fall into it. He immediately takes the smile off of it. It doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands, you know, those loving guys who get up early and prepare uh, coffee and juice for you in the morning and make sure everything's straight in the house so you awaken to a bright, cheery day. Wives, submit to your husband. That's not where he goes, is it? He says, wives, submit to your husband and immediately, even the ones who disobey the word. <laughs> now, that's familiar territory because he started off saying, submit to authorities that God has established, even the emperor. Immediately he put an ugly face on submitting. Because in that day, immediately, the emperor was a bad guy to submit to. Lots of dysfunction. Lots of terrible treatment at the hands of the one that you're submitting to. He moves to the next context. And he says, slaves, submit to your masters. Even to the abusive ones, show respect and submit to them. And so it just follows suit that now he's going to move into marriage and he's going to say, wives, submit to your husbands. Even to the knuckleheads. Right, so you see that submission doesn't need a heroic target in order for it to be our calling. Whether it was the previous verses or now it's wives. So you you want ladies? You don't approach the subject of submission by evaluating your husband. You don't say, well, you know, it's, Keith, it's really hard for me to submit because, I mean, I'm I'm smarter than my husband. I make better decisions than he does. I've got more education than he does. For for goodness sake, I don't even know if he's saved. Um, At least I'm saved, right? And some of you actually here, you know your husband isn't saved. Do you realize this verse primarily is focused at those who have not submitted themselves to the gospel? So this is a man disobedient to the word with his life. So this is addressing worst-case scenario. You're married to an unbeliever who doesn't follow God, and you're being given the advice to submit yourself to him. Now, I think there's reality that there's some believers who aren't following God in moments and categories of their life, and yet you are called to submit to him. Now, listen, do you you see where immediately this whole discussion starts to move into the mind-blowing category? That's how you're going to relate to your husband? Well, you're going to blow some people's minds. You're going to confuse them first, and they're going to feel sorry for you second. Um, but when the glory of God begins to permeate your life and your relationship, you're going to blow their minds. As they see you do something that seems so unnatural, so counterintuitive, to so why would you submit yourself to him? He doesn't seem to be, he's not praying about this. That doesn't seem to be a smart decision that he's making? He's he's done this dumb thing before. He's got a track record of dumb things one after another. Okay, ladies, do you see here that there, there isn't a qualifier here? The basis for submission is structure and design in God. It's not performance of the one who you're submitting to, right? That's the whole context here. Secondly, mind-blowing submission, it has an aroma about it. It has an attitude to it. Look in verse 2 and in verse 4. Submit to your husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Now, here's the aroma. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, right? So it's submission that is respectful and pure in its conduct. And then later on, down in verse 4, we get some more aroma here. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. So, so ladies, this, this, isn't, uh, this, this isn't some form of tolerance. Teeth grinding tolerance on the part of a wife who is putting up with you. You know, yet I'm submitting to you, but you better watch your back. You know, kind of a submission. This isn't I'm, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside, dude. It's not. It's not that. The true character of this thing, the aroma of this thing is respectful, pure conduct, gentle, a quiet spirit. These are big words. Listen, we don't tend to be respectful unless somebody commands our respect. Now, how do you get to command my respect? By doing something either really impressive, really awesome, you're off the charts in some category, or you just do it the way I do it. <laughs> we respect people who do stuff the way we do it, right? But if you don't do it the way I do it, you lose my respect. And yet here is a guy who's disobedient to the word. And yet you're called on to submit to him with a respectful attitude. The aroma of your life is respectful. Your pure conduct. Now your pure conduct here I think is a good clarifier. Because it's pure conduct in the sense of it's righteous. Conduct, which means you're not submitting unrighteously to unrighteous things. You're not putting, you're not just coming to this verse and saying, well, okay, the Bible says I got to submit to my husband. So if my husband calls me to do sinful things, I should just do it out of submission to him. Oh, no, you should not. Right? The governing principle of submission is you are first submitted to Christ. And so if your husband calls on you to do sinful things, then you are not to be submitted to him. Your conduct is to be pure. You you may have to respectfully decline whatever it is he's asking you to do, and do what God's calling you to do in that moment. The aroma, the smell coming off your life in this, ladies, it's gentle. Look at Wayne Grudem says that word actually means not insistent on one's own rights, not pushy, not self assertive not demanding one's own way. Right? That's what submission smells like. Ladies, listen, it's not, it's not some form of female holy tolerance to where you make sure and communicate to your husband just what you think, but you're going along. Right? You say something that's undercutting, denigrating, critical, but... It's your call. It's your call, idiot. (laughs) Again, (laughs) multiple idiot. You know, and, and that may be true. It's true in this situation. This guy is disobedient to the word. He doesn't deserve respect, gentleness. He deserves a cattle prod. He deserves something besides these things. But you understand, if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, this shouldn't be the first time you're coming in contact with bizarre behavior for the Christian. We do stuff that's bizarre. We blow people's minds. Right, you do remember, we're going to get to a verse here shortly in Peter. When Peter's going to, he's going to introduce us to the apologetic effect of all the ways in which we live in. And he's going to say it this way. Always be ready. You always be ready to give an account for the hope that is within you when anyone would ask. They're asking? What makes them ask? Stuff like this. A wife who stands in a place of submitting to a knucklehead. Everybody else knows he's a knucklehead. You don't even have to advertise that. People hang around your husband. They know he's a knucklehead. And yet they see you respectful, not pulling at the situation to get your own way, honoring him, submitting to him appropriately. At some point, and you do so with joy and with hope. At some point, somebody wants to ask you, why are you doing that? And, and why do you seem to have hope in the midst of doing that? And now you get to explain the gospel to them. See, bizarre behavior raises questions. Some of us just don't want to live too bizarre, isn't that the case? We just want to kind of be like everybody else, go with the flow. Well, all right. Now listen, where did those kind of attitudes, where's this aroma come from? How do you get this? Well, I think it's a byproduct of something else. Look at these thoughts from Thomas Schreiner and Wayne Grudem. Schreiner says Peter's point was that the good conduct of wives should stem from their relationship with God. This other writer, Slaughter, rightly says that wives do not submit in order to satisfy a husband's vanity or to promote his reputation. Neither do they submit to show how godly they are. Right? Ladies, might be a good exercise in humility not to advertise your submission to others. Well, I'm just submitting to my husband. Well, whatever my husband says, well, just do what your husband says and honor him. But you don't necessarily need to let everybody else know you're doing that. That might not be a good motivation for you. It's, nor is it to avoid conflict, nor to impress the neighbors, nor to manipulate their husbands, and not even because she thinks he is wise. She submits because of her relationship with and trust in God. That's where you get the fortitude to submit to a knucklehead. Wayne Grudem says, quiet confidence in God, confidence in God produces in a woman the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. But it also enables her to submit to her husband's authority without fear that it will ultimately be harmful to her, to her well-being or to her personhood. Okay, ladies, now that, that, that just got into the wheelhouse of the difficulty, right? If your husband begins to go in a direction, live a life, make decisions, give leadership that looks destructive to you, to your family, at that moment it becomes very challenging to submit to him. But in this passage, can we just be honest here? In this passage, that's what this guy's doing because he's disobedient to the word. We just don't get what categories he's being disobedient to the word in. So here's a guy being disobedient to the word. How would a wife be able to submit to that with all these characteristics of being gentle and quiet-spirited and having peace? Because she hopes in God. Because she has a huge trust in God in this moment. Listen, ladies, this is inescapable. If you're having a hard time with submission, ultimately... Ultimately, your hard time is with trusting God. At the surface, it may feel like, no, I'm having a hard time because you don't know my husband. Okay. If I knew him better, I'm, I might say, yeah, you're right. That does make it hard. But ultimately, what's at the basis of a struggle to submit is weakness in trusting and hoping in God. Now here's where you can't escape the context here. It is that hope and trust in God that is precious in God's sight. You want to find out what it is about all these submission, submission, submission things that's precious to God? Because it's a people who can submit themselves to the government, to the, the mistreatment of an emperor, to the mistreatment of bosses or slave owners, to the mistreatment of their husbands. Why is that precious in the sight of God? Because all along the way, you do it because of your hope in God. God. And if you back up a few verses, in the middle of slaves who have submitted themselves to their bosses, and even the ones who you've done good and they've done poorly towards you, what's precious in the sight of God is what immediately spins the conversation into the example of Christ. Because isn't that exactly what he did? One act of submission after another that proclaimed he trusted his father. Can you imagine? I mean, I don't know that we really can imagine. But the God of glory is going to disrobe. He's going to take off his God prerogative. And he's going to dress himself up in stiff, little bitty humanity. I don't know what this looked like. But as he he steps foot onto earth, looks back at his father. You know what he's saying? I trust you. I I step into this suit amongst these sinners. I trust you. The Bible says he, he was delivered into the hands of the ungodly and sinners. You imagine that walk to Jerusalem? You imagine the Garden of Gethsemane, the battle in the garden for the Son of God? was a moment of submitting himself to the Father and declaring, I trust you. Father, if there's any other way, but but not my will, let your will be done. And he submitted himself to godless men and sinners. And then when they were done beating him and crucifying him, he was going to submit himself to something called death. That dark chasm of death. That he knew his father would resurrect him back from the dead. See, all along the way, the son of God is the model of one who submitted himself over and over and over again to that which seemed destructive and bad to him. But yet he did so because he trusted in and hoped in his father. And then you and I are invited into that same place. All these likewise we keep bumping into, likewise, 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 they draw their strength. Ladies, they draw their strength from being like the Savior who trusted God. This is not about trusting your husband. It's not about being impressed by your husband. It's not about him doing enough to where finally you feel at peace for him to make decisions and for you to submit to that. This is about you trusting and hoping in God who is bigger than your husband. That the ultimate good for your life Even though in this context it may travel through pain and difficulty and suffering is the very theme of this whole letter. So wives, what I'm not telling you is if you'll submit to your husband, God will make sure you don't suffer. It's not the message this morning. This whole book is about suffering. But yet you're called as a wife to put your hope and your trust in God in such a way that you submit to him by submitting to the earthly authorities that God has placed in your life. From verse 3 and 4, submission is a matter of developed character. Right? When we look here in these verses, verse 3, don't let your adorning be external, braiding of hair, putting on gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. Right? Submission is a character issue. If you can ever walk in submission, it's going to be because cultivated in the heart of you as a follower of God is the character of one who submits. Now what's interesting here, this passage sometimes gets hijacked from this context and it's been used through church history to tell women what to wear and what not to wear. What's amazing to me is how many times I've heard people reference this without any sense of talking about the character issue of submission that's in the context here. It's about, oh, you got too much makeup on, or I don't wear jewelry because of this. or Okay, you can follow your own convictions in that, but do take this advice from Wayne Grudem so that you remain in clothing in the future. <laughs> he says, the Greek text does not include an adjective modifying clothing. The text literally says, let not your adorning be the outward adorning, braiding of hair and wearing of gold or putting on of clothing. It is. Is incorrect, therefore, to use this text to prohibit women from braiding their hair or wearing gold jewelry. For by the same reasoning, one would have to prohibit putting on clothing. <laughs> Peter's point is not that any of these are forbidden, but that they should not be a woman's adorning, her source of beauty. Right? When you go, ladies, when you go external here, something's happening that I think is actually going to undermine your ability to be submitted. That's the concern in this passage, that you're going external. Your, your emphasis is about your hair and your appearance and what you wear and your stylishness. When you go external and that becomes operative, you know, first off, ask yourself, when was the last time you were as mad about not submitting to your husband as you were about your return visit from the beauty salon? Right, when was the last time Right, and There's something about trips to beauty salons. Not a lot of you ladies work in beauty salons. You probably wouldn't want a recorder in the car on the ride home from some of these ladies. They come back, but man, they have theological issues with the way you did their hair. It's just an unholy moment, you know. <laughs> and, and appearance can be a huge factor in that moment. It's like, I've got to live with this until it grows out, you know. <laughs> When was the last time you were that upset about submitting? See, you, you, can, you can sort of push godly character to the side and just be living in this realm of what do I look like on the outside? All right, now, now let's be honest. What's kind of at the heart of dressing up the externals? I'm not, I'm not trying to advocate. You shouldn't have any concern about that. But just like everything in our life, it can go too far. So you begin to be very concerned about what your appearance is. Okay, who are you concerned with in that moment, right? Usually we're concerned with making an impression. We want to make a connection point with others. We want to impress others, and it's very unlikely that you are dressing or styling up so that you can get other people to look somewhere else, right? Does that make sense? It's like I'm just hoping by the way in which I'm dressing and getting all duded up that everybody else is going to receive proper attention in the room when I walk in. And Is that, not, Probably not, right? There's a hope that you're going to give some attention to me. I'm going to look nice. You're going to think I look nice. However deep that runs. Now, here's the undercurrent. If that becomes your agenda, right, that sense of let me see if I can get people. I want to gain something here from you. When that becomes your agenda, how likely are you to submit to somebody else who tends to chop at that agenda? and make your life begin to take on qualities and activity that weren't your idea. See, your idea was, I'd like to get some stuff flowing this way. That might not be their idea. You submitting yourself to somebody else's call, leadership, direction, may minimize not just in the external braiding issue, but just in the course of life issue. See, at some point when you as a wife want to seek ways to gain life, however you have defined it that way, you're going to have a very, very hard time submitting yourself to your husband because he may not play by those same ambitions. He may not put you in a position to where your, your cause gets furthered that way and you're going to have a very hard time submitting to that man in that day. I think that's more at the heart of what you wear on the outside because it's why do you wear that and what are you after in that moment? Verse 5 and 6. Submission is helped and taught by example. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham. All right, now here's a 2,000 year old example. If you want to know where Peter goes for his reference point on submission. He pulls an example that's 2,000 years old at this moment when Peter's writing this, which raises this question. Is submission a cultural creation? Because I think part of the reason why we struggle with it today is it's, it's less and less familiar to our culture, therefore it feels weird, It feels wrong. It feels like it erodes equality. It feels like it touches women's lives in a way that's just not a good thing. And right? our culture doesn't call it good, so we have a hard time calling it good. So when Peter presents this and he says, let me give you an example, he reaches 2,000 years back. Now, know a little bit about the cultural differences here. Peter reaches from a, a Greco-Roman culture, a world that had been very modernized by Roman lifestyle. So, you know, There's a difference here. The Romans were the closest thing to America back then as as what we could relate to. So the same way in which we export our music and our clothing and our way of life all over the world, that's what the Romans did. The Romans exported their ideas, their way of life. They existed with a Greek culture that had Greek philosophy. It had Greek idolatry in it. So there was paganism in this culture, heathen practices, It would be wrong actually for you to say that the entire culture just had this wives submit idea going on because that would not have been true. It would have been true in many circles but it would not have been true in all. And then blended with Peter's cultural time frame is Judaism in the presence of Greco-Roman influence. And then he reaches to a Bedouin and his wife from 2,000 years earlier before there's anything called Judaism he reaches back to Abraham, who's the guy who's called to start the Hebrews. So there's no tradition here that Abraham is furthering. There's no Jewish tradition. There's no cultural dimension here. He calls on wives in First Peter to be submitted in the same way that Abraham's wife was submitted to him 2,000 years ago as they wandered through the wilderness driving sheep. Pretty different culture. So the argument is not a cultural one. I even look further into the scriptures. You'll find Paul's argument for wives, or in this context that we're going to read this passage. It's women submitting in the realm of the church. First Timothy chapter two verse 11. Paul says, "Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Well, why is that, Paul? For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. All right, Do you see when, when Paul goes to explain in a modern setting, why is he teaching a role of submission for women in the setting of the church? He doesn't say anything about common practice. He doesn't draw his example from the culture. He reaches back to the day in which there was no culture yet. Just God creating two people. Adam and Eve didn't learn this from some previous culture, that it was, it's just been a bad idea that's traveled its way through human history. No, it was God's created order that Paul referenced. He said God designed them a certain way, right? In the same way that cells are designed to do certain things, in the organisms of structure, God has designed those structures a certain way so that they'll live and function and be healthy. So in the order of God creating a family, he created Adam first and then Eve. And he put Adam as the head of the home and even submission to that headship. So when we discuss that today, We're referencing the order of God's creation, even though our culture could have drifted miles and miles. And it may sound very weird to hear this. If all we did was tune into the broadcast of heaven for thousands and thousands of years, it wouldn't sound weird to us. It would sound normal. As a matter of fact, it would sound beautiful and good. And we wouldn't have any of the awkwardness. There would be no Pandora's box this morning. We would see this as a wonderful thing, beautiful in the eyes of God. Thomas Schreiner says, the, qu- the question, therefore, is not whether women are equal with men, for the New Testament is clear on this matter, clear in stating that men and women are equal, equally image bearers of God's glory. Right, so there's, this is not an equality issue. It shouldn't even be discussed in the realm of equality. The issue is whether such equality is compatible with the call for wives to submit to husbands. It is clear from Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, that submission of wives to husbands is grounded in theology, in Christ's relationship with the church. Right? If you go back to Ephesians, yet another place where submission is described, as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Right, so where do we get this idea of submission? Not from the culture. It's not a cultural creation. It's a God-order creation. It's the way in which this organism of marriage would survive well. The submission of wives to husbands mirrors the church's submission to Christ, and hence, it should be accepted as a norm that transcends the culture of the first century. All right, now, I'm going to blend a couple of these last points together for you, just for us, for the sake of time. Um, Verse 6, submission is good, and submission is also redemptive. Right? Submission is good. Right? That's what it says. You are like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You are her children if you do good. It's a good thing to submit to your husband. It's a good thing. It's a godly thing. It is declaring the glory of God, the God whose son submitted to the Father in playing his role in redemption and coming to earth. The good thing of the Spirit submitting to the Godhead and dwelling in us and taking up his presence in our lives. That's a good thing in the Bible. It's a beautiful thing. So submission is a good thing. Submission is a redemptive thing. Wives, even if your husband should be disobedient to the word, he may be one without a word as he observes your behavior. All right, listen to this thought here from Edmund Clowney. Hopefully this is greatly encouraging, especially to those of you who are married and your husband's not a believer. Christian wives can have an important part in the church's witness. That witness may not be easy. Their husbands have resisted the claims of the gospel. They may ridicule the message and insult their wives. So strong may be their hostility that it is no longer possible for their wives to speak of the Lord to them. Even then, the Christian wife must not despair. She still possesses a mighty weapon for winning her husband to the faith. It is the testimony of her life. Her husband has refused to heed the word. Very well, let him be one without words. The silent eloquence of his wife's pure and reverent behavior can preach daily the transforming power of Jesus Christ. When you're a wife in the setting of a husband who's disobedient to the word, whether he's a believer or an unbeliever, your peace, your hope in God, your trust in God preaches every day. In a way that's bigger than words. Because not only is it words, because the words are clearly what you believe. But it's active, life-transforming faith. It's, it's redemptive, and God uses it to win that man. Now, I can't speak in absolutes when God talks about winning that person. Um, I don't think that's an invitation for us to believe that if you submit, your husband absolutely will be saved but I don't have to reach back 2,000 years to find some examples of women who did exactly what this passage says. And there was amazing fruit as a result. One of the heroes in, in my life is Gina's grandmother. Godly, godly woman. It really, it's been just a joy to know this person as long as I have. And from the years of watching her life, she was married to a a rascal of a man. He was a difficult, difficult man. I had time to know him before he died for a number of years because Gene and I go so far back. I mean, we met when we were pretty young. So he was colorful. I don't know what I just, he was sort of Archie Bunker and uh, I don't know what. Ralph Cramden, yeah, Archie Bunker and Ralph Cramden in one human body, if you can go there. And so I you know, can imagine he's entertaining from a distance, but I wouldn't want to be married to the guy. But yet she was married to this man, faithful to this man, godly toward this man, submitted to this man. Now, I can't say she was submitted in the most heroic way in everything. There were moments where it was very difficult to submit to this man. She submitted to this man. She had four children and spent a portion of her life raising my wife. All of them are believers. Her son served on a pastoral team in a church for years. He's a leader in his church now. Three of those, my wife and two of the girls, are married to pastors and serve in ministry in churches. When that man went to be in the hospital, the end of his life, and he was on his deathbed, I had the opportunity to pray with him to be saved. I I was standing on somebody else's life in that moment. I was standing on Edna Miki's life in that moment, who for years and years and years lived and preached the gospel to her husband and he's in the kingdom today. You can look around and find Verla Berrios, godly woman who has served in this church for years and years and years, married to a rascal of a man, Roy. Now, most of us only knew Roy's rascalness from a distance because he wouldn't come to church. Verla was faithful, raising her kids in the church and being in the church and praying. Where's Verla at? There you are. And she submitted to this man. She respected this man. You knew that if you got around her, and you got around them. And though I'm sure he didn't do a lot of things that were very respectful. Well, late in his life, very late in his life, Roy got saved. And he, he lived in that salvation for a number of years before he died. And so we got to know him. And to see God transform this man's life made you wonder whether Verla was telling us the truth about him all those years. Because <laughs> he was a different man. This man was sweet and he loved God and he loved people, the very people that he probably avoided and spoke poorly of. And yet he loved God because his wife did what this verse said and clung to these promises. Brenda Tullis, married to a rascal of a man. Frank was a rascal. You know rascals are colorful. Frank was colorful. (laughs) But again, colorful from a distance. It's a different thing to be married to one of these guys. And yet she lived with this man and she honored this man and she submitted to this man. And in the end, toward the end of Frank's life, Frank came to Christ as well. Listen, ladies, this, this, is not, this is not an easy thing to do. But it is a redemptive thing in God. It is a good thing because it declares the glory of God, but it is a redemptive thing. And where the temptation for you often will be to do everything in your power, to turn screws, control, press, resist, argue, and all that stuff is the opposite of the posture you find here. Listen, please don't be surprised that the kingdom of God is upside down. It calls on you as a wife to do the thing that doesn't feel like you ought to be doing it. But yet it's what you're called to, and it's good. All right, as as Matt comes up, let me me get real with us for a moment here. I mean, all right, ladies, how are you going to apply this? You probably already know some obvious ways to apply it. But can I just trim the edges off, the extremes off? At one extreme, there's perhaps here this morning a wife who is in a relationship with a dangerous man, a physically abusive man. And you're hearing this this morning. You're trying to figure out, okay, are you saying that I just submit to being beat up on a regular basis by this guy? All right, let me be clear to you, no, no. And you know what? Your heart can be toward that man and not toward that situation. You need to make a distinction between those two things. You can be honoring to that man and still not live in that home and get the tar beat out of you. So you may have to do some things to change your living arrangements with your hope being that you're still seeking to be honorable toward that man. So that may need some wisdom, and you may need some help and some advice, not that... These of these situations, are just very hard to figure out exactly how to walk through them, so we don't necessarily have all the answers, but if that is you, please don't walk through that alone. Please come ask, and whatever help we can be, we want to be. There are, there are, listen, very few marriages that I just described, very few. There are a few, and you've probably heard of some of them, but for most everybody in this room, that's not your marriage. At the other end... Is a, is a wife who has lived at the other end of just submitting, just sort of she's taken on this posture of, well, you know, whatever my husband says. Well, he's the husband, and well, whatever he says, and well, I'm just going to submit to him. Well, I don't know, this would just my husband will have to, and, well, it's my husband, my husband, my husband. All right, can I trim that end off as well? Because you are called to be a wife to that man. And when God ordained this relationship with structure, he called you a helper to that man. So submission doesn't mean you stop helping him. It doesn't mean you're obligated to agree with everything that he says and does. See, the difficulty is that we don't, we don't know how as people to be respectful when we disagree. Ladies, if you'll learn that, it'll go a long way for you in your marriage. Because you should be able to in a decision or a practice of life or some things going on in your family, in your household, you should be able to come to your husband and say, Honey, I I really don't agree with this. I feel very strongly about it, as a matter of fact. And no matter how much we pray about it, no matter how much we discuss it, no matter how strongly you feel, I think it's wrong. I'm very concerned about us doing this. Please reconsider us doing this. Now you can do that respectfully, and you should do it respectfully. He needs you to do it. He needs you to do it respectfully. He may reconsider. He may not. Now at the end of the day, when you bring all that you got to bring to the party and you bring your influence to him and a decision gets made and he makes a decision that wasn't the one you hoped he would make or thought he should make, you are still his helper. Now your call is to help him with that. But that's what I didn't want to do. I understand. It was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross, not because he thought the cross was cool. There was something bigger going on in that moment. And when you're called to submit to your husband, there's something bigger going on in that moment than just this decision about whether we buy that car and spend that money. And it turns out to break and be a limit in a bad decision. Your call is to help him now. Help him in that moment. So those are the extremes. Where most of us live is with men. Ladies, you're living with men who are weak and have sin issues in their lives. And you're called to submit to them. Husbands who lack leadership just don't show up. Given leadership in the household, things happen, but it's not because your husband's a mover and a shaker. You're still called to submit to him. Husbands who are lazy. Husbands who are lukewarm. Husbands who misuse their time and their energy and Get themselves involved in things that you think are childish. Still play too many sports on the weekend. Don't ever see their family. Work too much. Play too much Xbox. I mean, it's a whole different world out there these days. Spend money in a way that you don't think they should spend money. Waste money. Do sinful things with money. You don't like their viewing habits. They watch stuff on TV that you don't like. You don't think they should be liking that. You understand, nothing I've just listed means you don't have to submit to him. It means he's disobedient to the word. But it doesn't mean you're released from submitting to him. This is where the mind-blowing part comes in, ladies. Do you have a hope in God that God gave you this instruction where he said, hope in me, trust in me, with respect and gentleness, submit yourself to this man. And I'll be at work in the midst of that, winning that man in whatever his issue is. Now, ladies, this, this, if you're a basketball fan, I'd say this is kind of like going to the goal with your left hand. It doesn't feel natural. You feel spastic. You probably will drop the ball and look like you're shooting the balls over there. Um, but this is what you're called to. This is the mind-blowing call of God. So let's stand up together. We want to pray for you guys. Next week, I'm going to actually spend most of our time praying next week. So maybe, wives, you get in. You get a little longer time to dig around in the passage before we have some time for ministry next week between husbands and wives. Lord, I pray this morning that as we have looked into Your Word, that You inspired this Word, Lord. Of the few things that the Apostle Peter would say in the category of households, he focused on marriage, and in the few things about marriage he could say, he just focused on submission of wives and the nature of a husband being understanding toward his wife. So, Lord, this. These must be big items for us. Lord, there's much mileage to be gained here. There's much redemptive activity here. There's much good here. So, Father, I pray for hearts able to receive. Lord, Lord, thank you for these wives that are here this morning. Lord, some of us are very aware that they are married to knuckleheads. Lord, it wasn't submission that was the short end of the stick. It was, ju- it was just me was the short end of the stick. Married to a man of weakness, a man whose heart is prone to wander in waywardness, man who gives into sin, or that was the short end of the stick. Part of your redemption, God, is bringing to marriages a submission that injects the supernatural into households. Lord, this is this is an injection of the supernatural, Lord. This hupetaso injection, Lord, into our Relationships. God, this morning, I pray that you make us a people inspired by the lives of these wives here present in this room, whose lives proclaim their hope and trust in God. But well, they have learned the secret of looking to God for the good of their life, for the hope of their life, for a treasured future that they long for. And they do not walk daily in the fear of Of what will that guy do next? They walk daily in the hope of my God will be faithful to me no matter what. God, I pray that you would help. Help ladies here today. Lord, help this week. Let submission become sweet. Lord, let it become a pursuit. Lord, let it become something that these ladies treasure and value. Lord, let them shop for it online, if you will longing to see how it can take on greater and greater dimensions in their soul. Lord, let them do so because it brings you pleasure. This is precious in the eyes of God. Precious like the Son of God submitting to the cross. Oh, Lord, give grace. Give grace to these ladies, Lord. Next week we're going to be praying for men to receive grace. But, Lord, this week we pray, grace to these ladies. Faith to these ladies revelation from your word to these ladies. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And bless you, God.